Bigfoot Lives is the most comprehensive and best compilation of sightings of Bigfoot in the state of Idaho to date. It is written in a delightful narrative style by an author who includes her own unique experiences with the creature, as well as the 80-plus accounts of others. It will pique the interest of even the most skeptical reader. Join Destination Mystery as we conduct our interview with Becky Cook, author of the Bigfoot Lives series. And welcome to Season 2, Case File 24. You are listening to Mystery Media Group. Yay! If home is where the heart is, Becky's heart is located in multiple places. It shares a home with each of her 10 children and nine grandchildren, but it still has plenty of rooms for additional grandchildren and multiple friends. She shares her home with a semi-retired surfer dude and semi-insane labrador retriever, assorted chickens, and four of the neighbor's cats. She is almost always barefoot and prefers life lived outside. So we're originally from St. Anthony, Idaho. Oh, I have cousins up there. It was so fun to read some of those stories because I'm like, I know where that is. I've been there. Like, it's exciting to know that there have been sightings there. And it was just really, really fun read. So thank you for putting those books out. You're welcome. You told us a little bit about how you got started in writing these books. Um, So I was wondering if you'd tell us the story again about like your first encounter, and then how you started writing them for the paper. I grew up on the Chauvin Indian Reservation there in Fort Hall. My dad was a police officer with the Pocatello Police Department. And he quite often would get called out as a liaison officer for Fort Hall because we lived on the reservation and the Indians knew him and trusted him. So one night he got called out and this Bigfoot had been trained to shake down this trailer. They get out the the people who lived there didn't have phone, so they waited till the Bigfoot went around the outside of the house, and then they jumped in their vehicles, went down to the police department, and got the police, and they came back, and the Bigfoot was gone by then. But there were all sorts of footprints in the mud. They followed him down the canal, and um, here was this Bigfoot that was head and shoulders taller than the bush it was standing behind. It was just yelling at him. The Indians don't believe in. Um, stepping in and causing any problems unless there is a problem. So it just kind of backed off. And after a while, the Bigfoot just left the area. So that happened when I was four. And um, two days after that happened, our family was actually going past that same area. And my dad pointed out the Bigfoot wasn't able to do much to their house, but it dismantled the pump house and just totally trashed it board by board. And so he showed us where that was, and it's all in pieces and stuff. And I thought, well, cool. What's a Bigfoot? I don't know, you know. So um, <clears throat> I got older, and when I was 
oh, 14 or 15, they started hearing, they started having Bigfoot um, adventures in actually in town in Blackfoot. They would run into the Bigfoot. Um, I remember one, one story in particular, this guy was going to work at six o'clock in the morning and it wasn't quite light out, but here he, he was going past the Eastern Edo State Fairgrounds, which has um, very tall fencing all the way around it. And this Bigfoot was just walking down the road and his head and shoulders were taller than the fence was. And I thought, well, that is cool. That's cool. And then um, saw my first set of footprints when I was about 15. And right here, I have to explain that I'm one of the tallest women you'll ever meet. And I have size 14 feet, but they're only like 12 inches long. So our neighbor actually found these footprints out in the middle of nowhere. And she mentioned them to me and I took my little brother down. My little brother has size 16 feet. And we went down and we saw these big footprints that are way out in the middle of the lava rock where no one would go barefoot. No one would go there. And the footprints were bigger than both of ours, and the stride was longer than both of ours. Wow. At the time, I was just thinking, man, that is amazing. That's just amazing. So um, a couple more years go by and took my kids out camping one uh, week. And when we go camping, we read. And so I was working my way through this set of books. And we would read until I didn't have a voice anymore. So we read until like 11.30, 11.45, and then I was like, okay, we got to go to bed. We climb in bed, and everybody's almost completely asleep when I heard something outside the, the tent, outside by the, by the picnic table. And I thought, oh, Becky, that was so stupid. You left the, I left the peelings out. You know, I didn't throw them away or dispose of them. And there's moose out there, and there's bear out there. And so I carefully open the bottom of the tent and I'm peeking out there and lo and behold, here's this thing out there. And it was bent over so that its back was level with the top of the table and it was picking up the scraps. And so <laughs> I said, what are you doing out there? <laughs> and it puts down one hand just like a linebacker and it just starts running on two feet. So um, I was like, what the heck was that? You know, and, and there was enough, there was enough moonlight that I could see that it was kind of brown and shimmery still. And it had this stripe down its back. And so, you know, you classify the things that have stripes, you know, you have skunks and you have badgers. Wasn't a skunk, it was too, too tall. Wasn't a badger, it was way too big. So, you know, I, I didn't know what to, I didn't know what to think. And so kind of stored that memory away. And a few more years go by, and I moved into this area. And one night, there were these two smells that just kept showing up. And I just think, well, that, that's really weird. That's, I've never smelt a skunk like that, you know, because usually a skunk is a really oily smell, and it permeates everything, and, and this was not. And so I got to thinking, you know, wonder what else that is. And then just, you know, let it go. And we were um, flood irrigating. My son comes running and he's like, mom, I got to show you something. So we go out there and here's this great big footprint in the center of the lawn. And um, it was, the heel was sunk in like three or four inches deep. And then the toe was more up on top of the ground. And, and it was like four inches longer than my foot and a lot heavier than me. 
And I'm, I usually wear flip-flops. It's, you know, it's one of those things where you just have a hard time getting shoes. So I'm more comfortable in flip-flops or barefoot. So I pop my flip-flop off and hold my foot up against this footprint and think, man, there's no way it came from me. <laughs> it couldn't have come from anybody in my family. So I actually did take a picture of that. And I actually saw it on my computer the other day. And then I don't know what I did with it. Honestly, I'll find it again. I'll stick it in my file. But yeah, they found a whole bunch since then. And even after we found that one, and we kept finding a bunch across our lawn. And my kids would hear them speak to each other. We'd see them on the road. <laughs> you know, it was just kind of one of those random things. And, and um, I started asking my neighbors, you know, have you ever had a Bigfoot sighting? And most of them completely clam up, you know. <laughs> it wasn't until later that I would have one or two of them, you know, kind of sidle up next to me and say, you know, I saw a Bigfoot once. And they'd tell me these stories that are just amazing. So that's kind of how I got started. But I, I've been a writer my entire life. It's just started collecting these stories, kind of hit and miss as I was going along. And then I... um once when I was writing for the paper, my my uh, editor asked me to write a story about um, things, you know, when um, hunt, hunting with horses and when things go awry. And I think he, he meant, you know, like a pile up or, you know, when you run into bears or whatever. And, and instead, I find this this story about this guy who ran into a Bigfoot. And I thought, and that is so cool. So I wrote it all down and I called my editor and I said, you'll never, you'll never believe this. And I know we don't print this type of stuff. So I tell him the story and he's like, man, that is, that is a cool story, but you're right. We don't, we don't print those type of things. So we go back to work and about an hour later, he calls me back and he says, you know what? Let's run that in the Halloween section. That way people can make up their own mind, whether it's true or whether it's not. And we'll just let it ride, you know? So we did, we, we put it in the, in the Halloween section. And uh, then my boss leaves on vacation and he said he was driving across South Dakota and he was like, man, I sure hope I don't get in trouble. All I had, you know, didn't have any really solid news this week. All I have is that story Becky wrote about the Bigfoot. Oh my gosh. Hope I don't get in trouble for that. And he comes back and we've gone into a second printing. The next year we did another story sort of, sort of similar and then like true life ghost stories and and kind of continued from there and it's it's just been fun. But I ended up writing my first book when I was in 2012 and then I wrote a second book and a third book and then this year is the fourth book. So hey. how did people react to those stories in the papers? Were they like really I I'm sure they loved them. <laughs> he had nothing Some to worry people about. Are right? like, yeah you've been drinking the funny water again, <laughs> really <laughs> and other people are like hey you know I had something like that happen <laughs> I think they're fun even if I don't quite believe them all the way but I would totally go for that <laughs> Bigfoot story in the paper <laughs> I wanted to ask Becky about the story while her and her kids were up in Palisades and those mounds they found. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember Actually, that story? It wasn't us that found the mounds, but um, they were oh, actually up you. by above Stanley, by the um, Sawtooth Mountains. So that one was oh, It wasn't Palisades? Us. No, uh -uh. it was above. It, there's been a huge, a huge amount of sightings up by Palisades, but they haven't found any burial ground that I know of. We have found some um, like animal burial grounds that they think are like leftover residue from Bigfoot stuff. But the one you're talking about actually happened in the Sawtooth Mountains, and it it was a it's he's an old uh, 
Boy Scout leader who told me that. And, and he, he's one of those guys who literally lived around the corner from me. And he told me some really amazing things that had happened, just right, some of them right in town. But th- that particular one, he'd taken the kids up on a 50-mile hike and they'd gone about half a week. So like he said about 24 miles, 23 miles up in the mountains. And uh, the kids were playing steal the flag and they found these five great big, huge, long burial sites that were 10 feet long and he said they were just mounded up like you know like in old westerns but there the vegetation started growing back over the top of them and the kids were starting to freak out and and they thought there was next murder and they needed to pack up and go home and (laughs) and he was the voice of reason and he's like no think about this you really think an ex-murderer would kill somebody, clear the whoop down there and carry their bodies up 24 miles into the mountains to bury them? I doubt it. And these have been here a while. So, you know, yeah, that was, that was kind of a cool story. <laughs> I remember you saying something about the Indians um, claiming that they do they do bury their, their dead, the Bigfoot yeah. do. Since the, that last time you heard me speak, I heard one other story like that. Um, when I've asked the Indians before, the ones that are right here close, they said that they've from time to time seen them put their the body in the river and then put rocks on them to sink it down into the river. But um, I also interviewed a guy, oh, about four months ago. And he said when he was younger, he saw there, a Bigfoot got hit by a car. And he said it was just a young Bigfoot. And he, he himself, he's 72 this year. And he said this happened when he was about 13 or 14. So these kids were drinking and they were fooling around and they came down the mountain too fast, turned this corner and they hit this baby Bigfoot and it killed it. So I said, so what happened? And he said, well, they went in and they got the village um, elders, the Indian elders, and they went out and they said a bunch of prayers over it and they sang for it made a burial site for it out there, and they buried it right near where the vehicle had hit it. He said that the the elders were afraid that they would come under condemnation from the Bigfoot if they didn't take good care of this baby. So they buried it there, and um, it's in an area where white people aren't allowed. And I said, so have you seen the grave since then? He said, yeah, it's still there. Nobody disturbs it. I really like that story, actually that they respected it and took care of it the way they should. Did your family, you and your kids, run into two adolescent Bigfoots? Or am I remembering this one wrong, too, up at Palisades? Maybe I got them mixed around. No, there was you know someone talking who, about? There was um, a lady and her son who ran into two down by, um, it's actually south of Twin Falls area. I have not been where she mentioned, but it's down there called um, Wallstrom. Hollow Wallstrom, I think. Anyway, um, she, they, they, yeah, they ran into two down there. We've seen them before, and and we, the last time we saw three of them together. That might have been what you meant. Would you tell us that story real quick? Sure. So, um, in 2012, I wrote the book, the first book, The Bigfoot Lives in Idaho. And then in 2013, I hosted a Bigfoot conference and I brought in three speakers, one of whom was from Oklahoma, one was from Washington, one was from Missouri. And the lady who's from Oklahoma, it doesn't matter where she's at, the Bigfoot usually come down to say hello to her. So we, in between the convention and when she had to go home, we took this picnic up and went into the mountains and um, she brought her drum 
And we were just sitting there and we had eaten her picnic and she was drumming and singing and my kids were singing. We were singing with her. She was standing about, say, 25 feet to the west and she was singing and she looks back and she says, there's one. And then just a couple of seconds later, she said, there's two and there's three. And the, the first one was closer to her. So the first one was closest to her. So it was only about 10 feet away from her, roughly 22 feet away from where we were. And it was really massive. And people were like, well, how big was it? We, I couldn't see the whole thing. I could just see like two thirds of the chest going across the chest and um, one arm down to almost to its waist. And it was just big. It was big. It had a, just like a big barrel chest, like one of the gorillas you would see, like Mighty Joe Young, you know, something like that. Big, big chest. And then the other two were straight up the hill from us, roughly 20 feet away, 25 feet away. And they were kind of tucked behind this bush, kind of peeking at us. And they were, I'm assuming they were teenagers just because we could see their elbows and their knees and they were all bony, like how teenagers go through growth spurts. So they just sat there and they kind of watched us and they'd peek out from behind this bush and then pull back and then peek out. And and then we sat there and we watched them for a little bit and then they just disappeared. So that was really, really cool. It was just, it was just really cool because it's like they came to check us out and we were there to check them out. <laughs> so you didn't feel threatened or anything by them? They were just curious. Uh-uh. I've never really felt threatened by them at all, but that may be because of the way I was introduced to them because um, my friend would say, if you go into the woods looking to be scared, you're going to be scared. It's the same thing as when you're at a, at a carnival or a fair and you go to a haunted house, you want to get scared, you're going to get scared. Um, if you go into the woods and your expectation is something different, then there's a good chance that you will have a really good good experience. So. I've never really had a scary experience. And in all of the stories that I've collected, there's only been two where the the people were acting like idiots and they should not have been doing what they were doing. And the Bigfoot got really peeved and I don't blame them in the least. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You started putting these stories in your paper. Did uh, How did you actually start collecting them? Did people just send them to you? And then you're like, hey, I've got enough of these to put a book together. Like, what did what made you decide to put this book together? So I kept finding these stories and they were just fascinating to me. And because I'm a writer, I just write, wrote them all down. Um, in the middle of 2012, I had been working. I'm, I'm a single mom at the time, a single mom. And I was I was working and my job abruptly ended and I, I just thought I, I didn't know what I was supposed to do to take care of my family. So I was saying my prayers that night and I just asked Heavenly Father, hey, you know, what am I supposed to do to take care of my family because I need to do something. And in the middle of the night, I saw I had kind of this dream and it showed me the cover of this book, the first book. And so I woke up the next morning thinking, cool, I get to write a book. Um, because that had always been a goal of mine and you know and and my brother my younger brother is a um is an eagle scout and then he trains eagle scouts or he used to and he used to he used to just love to take me out to their campouts and stuff and he'd say hey any of you guys heard some great bigfoot stories becky's got some great ones and he'd smack me in the ribs and he's like tell them (laughs) 
So he'd trot me out like this dog and pony show and I would tell him these stories. And so I, I knew I was getting a good response from him. And so I started collecting him and and then um, I, the more I would ask people, um, I, the more I would ask people, the more, the more usually someone who's had an experience knows someone else who's had an experience. So it's kind of, I, I learned by word of mouth where to find people. And then, and then a lot of the times I would go um, on the reservation and just ask questions and sit there and shut up and listen. And I've never had a problem getting them to talk it was just interesting to me you know I was raised to respect everyone no matter the color no matter who they are what they do with life so to me it was just you show everyone respect and just sit and listen and and because I was respectful they realized that I would respect the Bigfoot as you know and they could trust me with the stories that they were telling me so that's kind of where I got started with that one that's really cool. Um, the first book actually has a story in there that Mike and I had heard from our uncle, Mike. Which one? Ron did well. well. Oh, Ron. Uh-huh. And I remember the first time I heard that story, it just gave me goosebumps because he, you know, he said they were ha- like having a conversation back and forth. Yeah. So, and, I, and then I read your book and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's in her book. That's so awesome. His son now has had a couple of experiences where he's been able to cast their footprints and stuff. Maybe we'll have to talk to him. (laughs) It was up by Green Canyon that it happened, correct? Yeah, kind of up past um, where Ryrie, up up that area. There is a whole bunch of sightings up there. In the fourth book, I actually mapped everything out, which took a huge amount of time. Trust me, it did. And I mapped them all out, and there's a whole bunch there by Irwin and Palisades Dam, and um, back in the mountains where Ron's happened, and um, the old um, Fall Creek area. There's a whole bunch. There's a whole bunch of stories, and I've run into them a couple of times since then up there. It's it, and I've got some really cool pictures from other people who've run into them up there. It's just, it's pretty fascinating. I figure there's a family that lives up there who we just run into every once in a while. <laughs> That's crazy. Like I've been up there so many times and had no idea. I want to, I want to see one, not up close. I do too. You kind of get to the point. I, I um, when I talk to people, I just say, you know, just get really peaceful and listen to the trees and listen to the everything around you. And then just ask if you're allowed to see them. And if you're, if you're allowed to experience some of the things that they have to share, you know, so it seems like most of the time we've been up there, we've run into them a time or two. And once we were up there on um, President's Day when it was all still cold and snowy and and um, my kids are having a snowball fight and I'm sitting on the trunk of the car just laughing. And um, I found these footprints that went straight down the mountain, just straight down the mountain. And the footprints were about five or six feet apart. But then when you're coming that fast down the mountain, you're not taking normal steps. So I knew that they'd been there. And then I I smelled the smell. And the Bigfoot actually used their smell like a calling card. It's like, hey, I'm here. And off they go. And um, so I smelled the smell, you know, and I just sat there and I just thought, thank you. Thank you for saying hello and hello back, you know, and. A couple of minutes later, one of my kids are like, oh, yeah, there's that smell again. Mom's going to try and tell you it was a Bigfoot. And I just think, you know what? You get to believe whatever you want to believe. You just you just do. But if you ask and if you're peaceful and respectful, 
I think there's a good chance that you can actually have a pretty good reaction. I've taken apples up and stuff, and that's been fun. They don't like carrots. <laughs> Gonna have a sweet to them. That's understandable. One of the guys I interviewed up there, he is in the third book, and then he's also in the fourth book. But he's had so many sightings with the Bigfoot. It's just been amazing. And he said just this last year, they cleaned out his apple tree up there. And he was a little ticked because, and but I was thinking, man, that Bigfoot must have come back a lot because he didn't have a basket. He didn't have anything to carry these apples in, but there were enough apples on that tree that it could have filled the back end of a pickup. All gone, all of them. Maybe the whole family came down. I mean, they could probably fit five or so in each hand, right? <laughs> well, they they saw two of his neighbors actually saw them out there, and then they saw the Bigfoot again coming out of, from one of the other neighbors' um, orchards too. <laughs> that would be fun to see. They like apples. <laughs> They're sweet, especially when it's not seasonal for them, you know, like in the middle of winter or something. True. They really like melons too, like watermelons and honeydew melons, and cantaloupe melons. And <laughs> so we're bringing treats for them next time we go out, huh, Mike? Yeah. <laughs> if we haven't get there. Yeah, true. We we tend to eat a lot. So <laughs> And I'm sure we can save a few apples. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll give him all my carrots. There you go. <laughs> you know what's funny? He might throw Yeah. We were at, uh, in South Dakota, what's the park? Custard State Park. And they have yeah. these wild donkeys. Mm -hmm. And everybody yeah. was trying to feed him carrots. And they were like, we don't want those carrots. But we had animal crackers. So they were gobbling those up pretty good. <laughs> yeah, they pounded down a whole pound of bag of those. <laughs> um can you tell us who did the artwork on your books it was brandon Tennant. he is a really good um illustrator he likes to uh sit down and he'll he's like a police artist so how would you have the nose or you know are the eyebrows higher or lower and um he's funny because he's asked me that a couple of times and he's like so should i change it and i'm like you realize they're all individuals. They all look different, you know, because some of them will have hair clear up to their eye socket area. And some of them just look like guys who haven't shaved for a couple of days. And, you know, <laughs> just depends what you're seeing. Well, I think it, that they're some of the best illustrated pictures that I've ever seen. They're very detailed. Uh, pretty cool. When I chose the cover for that book, I, I had actually finished the, writing the book and was looking for something to put on the cover. And I knew what I saw in my dream, but I hadn't seen the actual picture. And then I was up visiting Dr. Meldrum and he said, have you ever met Brandon Tennant? And I said, no, who is he? And he said, he's a, he's a Bigfoot illustrator. You should go talk to him. And so I went down to talk to him and Brandon pulls up this, this, um, file on his computer and he says tell me which one looks like what you saw and he goes through it and about the fifth one I'm like wait 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 that's the one and he said that is the number one picture that the, that the Indians say looked the closest like him and, that, and that's what you saw in your dream yeah though I saw the cover of the book and how it looked and that it had green type and <laughs> that's crazy I mean he even makes the eyes just look so real every little strand of hair and everything yep it's beautiful um do you have a favorite story from any of these books that you want to talk about or do you kind of just mm. like them all 
you know, it kind of changes with, I don't know, it just kind of changes. Like, um, I guess um, Dave Erlinson, he's the one who should, he's in book three and in book four. He's told me a lot of them, and, um, he, but he lives up in the mountains all the time. In fact, Ron Bidwell told me that I should talk to him. But he's like, at the time, Dave didn't have a cell phone. And Ron's like, I have no idea how you're going to get hold of this guy because he's never home. He is literally never home. He's always out in the woods. But he has a cell phone now. Sometimes he doesn't, sometimes he's not in service. But he has seen the Bigfoot a lot, a lot of times. And one of these last times he said um, he was up with a buddy and they were... um, lining out some bear bait and then um, just looking around to see where the trail, you know, how the trails were laid out and stuff. And he said, the other guy got pretty tired. So he put, he sat down at the base of his tree and went to sleep. And Dave was sitting there and he said, in my pocket, I had some of those absolutely nasty crackers, you know, the peanut butter crackers that nobody eats in their right mind unless they're starving to death and there's nothing else. He said, I pulled them out and there's this little squirrel. I was entertaining the squirrel being at little pieces of this, this um, cracker. And he said, when I, my eye caught this movement out of the corner of my eye and he says, I turn fully thinking it's a moose and it's a Bigfoot just standing there watching me. And he said, I looked and I, there was a Bigfoot. And he was like, he said, the, the thoughts going through his head, like, of course it isn't a moose. He's the wrong color for a moose. And he glances back and he feeds the squirrel again. He says, he looks again. And the, and the Bigfoot had just kind of turned and walked down towards the mountain way. And that was so amazing. He was right there. But that's happened to Dave quite a few times where he's run into a Bigfoot within like 18 to 20 feet of one. He's and uh, one of the times he saw one jump across the road just ahead of him. And anyway, the, the just recently, since I put this last book together, he had a friend come up looking for um, the deadfall antlers. And um, he was hiking all over his place and he found this huge pile of bones. And he came down, he was giving Dave crap, and he says, Is that where you just throw everything after you butcher it? And Dave's like, no, I dispose of everything. And he's like, what's up there? And he said, there's this huge pile of bones. Like like there was some type of a massacre, but it's all deer and um, antelope and moose and whatever, and just all in a big pile. And he said he figures that's where the one Bigfoot just kind of hangs out and watches his house. <laughs> that's a garbage dump. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wanted to hear the stories about the reservation because Meldrum talked about the reservation too and brought up Becky's name, and I yeah. thought that was pretty interesting. That that's where they hung out. Yeah, the biggest thing there is that um, <laughs> Dr. Mel- Meldrum's white, also, so he's not allowed up there. <laughs> but there's a protected mountain up there, Mount Putnam, and the white people aren't allowed up there. My father actually spent quite a bit of time up there because he was a high security clearance guard. And there's the um, the gay mine is up there. And he actually worked with gay mine for quite a while. And the funny thing is, my dad is quite a bit older now and he's forgetting a lot of things. And when I wrote that first book, I asked him, hey, do you remember any of these experiences? And and he didn't he didn't really say anything. But I interviewed one of my father's co-workers who also worked up for the mine. 
and he said, he said, you know, your dad's a funny dude. I said, really? And he says, yeah, we were sitting out there eating lunch, you know, in the middle of the day and sitting out in the sunshine. And, and he says, I'm, I'm looking at Putnam, you know, where the Bigfoot are on the mountain. And, and he said, your dad looks up over there and he's like, look at all those men running up and down the hill with packs on their back. Why would they do that? And this guy says, I turned and I looked at him and he's like, you're kidding, right? And he says, no, your dad was not kidding. But all he could see of the Bigfoot was, he said, it just looked like a guy in a in a brown suit with a backpack on his back running up and down the hill. That's crazy. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Just, I can see why the Bigfoot like to hang out there because nobody's going to bother him. Yeah, there's some actual really cool places up there that... Um, one of the gals, well, in the first book, you read the story about the girl who found the the place that looked like a, a that had a, that was a cave that had the the woven stuff over the front of it, mm-hmm. and she said it looked like someone's house, but there was no fire pit or anything. She had some really cool stories to tell. <laughs> Mama was just trying to make her her home pretty. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's cool. Was it decoration or camouflage? Partly half and half. Where the where the area was woven over the top was more camouflage, plus, you know, shade. But inside, she said it was very um, meticulously clean, and there were pretty rocks laid out like they were someone's decorations, you know, pretty rocks on the wall. That's cool. That is cool. Yeah. Just to think they... I want to find one of those. Me too. They have, <laughs> have to do quite a bit of hiking. What's your take on Bigfoot being, um, you know, a lot of people think he's this biological creature. Some of them think he's more on the spiritual side of things. After talking with a lot of the Native Americans, um, what, what do you think they think and what's your take on it? I tend to agree with them. I Well, my take on this world is probably different than other people's because I look at it and I just think we're spiritual beings here to have a physical experience here on this earth. And I know that the Bigfoot have the ability to transfer in between realms because I've seen them do it in front of me. But um, I've also felt the beginning, you know, like going through portals. I've actually been to the, the mouth of some portals, never wanted to go any further. So I don't know, I'm kind of torn on both of that because I know that the Bigfoot are here to watch over and protect a lot of people. And from time to time, I've heard some really amazing stories where they've shown up and helped, you know, when there was no one else there to help them. Um and then, you know, someone was saying once, um, well, my, one of my Indian friends, she said that, that the Bigfoot would try their best to try and turn you, to turn you away from your own destruction is the way she termed it. There was a lady where we used to live who was a meth addict. She mentioned to her children, someone kept trying to take the things at her house and they said, like, what things? And she says, they keep messing with my shingles. And I, who really wants shingles, you know? <laughs> and this house that she lived in was really such a ramshackle affair that if there had been a big breeze, it could have knocked it all down. That's the way it looked on the outside. But she swore that quite often at night, there were people outside who were kind of tapping on her windows and tapping on her walls and and it was just after that that I had these conversations, a couple of them with the natives. And and I remember just thinking, you know, 
they're doing their best to turn her away from herself because she's going to destroy herself with this mess. But if maybe, you know, and, and the family thinks she's just being paranoid when in reality it's, it's the truth. Something is happening. But she doesn't, she doesn't see that. She just, you know, reacts like it's, she's paranoid. So where can we find your books, Becky? So they're available on Amazon. And then I'm getting ready to do a major launch for the fourth book. I'll show you the cover. I like that. I went back and I interviewed all the extra people in, in the first three books and added to it. And then there's like 26 new stories plus a cooking guide in the back, Bigfoot cooking guide. Tell us what a Bigfoot cooking guide is. <laughs> so Dave actually thought when I was editing this book, I would edit and then I'd send it over to my editor who would edit it and then send it back to me and I'd make corrections. And you go through that process for a really long time. So during one of those breaks, I was reading a novel and, and I noticed, you know, every single one of them had these recipes in them. And I, I was just laughing, telling my my husband, hey, you know, we should put, you know, Bigfoot stew in the back or Sasquatch sausage or something, you know. I like just that. For fun, just for fun. But he thought it was a great idea. So yeah. I reached out to Dave Erlinson because he's lives outside all the time and he cooks outside all the time. Plus, he's been trained as a chef. And he's lived all over the world. He's cooked all sorts of things. And he came up with some of these awesome recipes that I put in the back of this book. So it's not like Sasquatch stew or whatever, but it tells you how to um, how to cook muskrat and how to cook um, any type of chicken you can cook in the wild and actually have the meat turned out tender and nice. There is a Sasquatch stew. There is a Sasquatch sausage. Um, he tells you how to cook bear or mountain lion, um, how to cook beaver, and how to cook venison. And it's funny because Dave is just a kick in the pants to talk to in person. And I put a lot of his personality in the cooking section so you can actually hear his voice and just laugh. He's a funny guy. <laughs> That's but it will keep you fed. If you go out and look for Bigfoot and you get stuck up in the mountains, you will not starve if you follow, if you take the book with you. Now you know how to cook muskrat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Anything else that you want to provide to our listeners? Now's your time to put your plug out there. The best way to find the books is on Amazon. Um, my, my website is bigfootlives.com. I've got multiple speaking engagements, mostly in August this year, which are going to keep me busy and off the streets. <laughs> And the, the dates are not in the calendar on my website yet, but they will be shortly. Good. Michael was asking, was going to ask about that. So we'll just have to keep checking back. Yeah, they have a Sasquatch con convention and then oh, a couple it, other things. Is it local, the one in August? It's in Nampa. Okay. That'll be We've actually thought about doing, I think we might be doing one that's really low key down in Burley, but really just seriously, just keep asking, come down and talk to us, come down. And I said, you know, let's just do, if we do it, let's just do a really low key thing where people come and they can tell their own stories and just, um, just, you know, get some validation basically. So that's kind of what we're aiming for, but we don't really know for sure. <laughs> that's a good idea. Sure. Appreciate you joining us tonight. You're a lot of fun to talk to and listen to. Before we go, we'd like to share a trailer from our good friends at Tiny Terror Podcast. 
Why do creepypastas spread so easily? Is there really a secret society sourcing codebreakers on Reddit? What's the best way to monetize your local cryptid? Hi, I'm Sigra, host of Tiny Terror. Join me every Thursday as I attempt to answer these questions and more in bite-sized episodes you can fit into your morning commute. We'll sift through unsolved true crime cases, paranormal events, and any and all other things spine-chilling and mind-thrilling. Listen now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else podcasts are found. See you there. If you enjoy our show, please like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review. We will be introducing other Mystery Media Group guests in our upcoming episodes, along with weekly bonus material. If you'd like to see more pictures and evidence from our adventures, visit www.destination-mystery.com. You'll find a link to our blog, as well as a link for merch and contact information. Until next time, find your own destination. Solve the mystery. This is a production of Mystery Media Group. Yay!